Hey everybody, my name's Ash T. Welcome to Dropouts, the very first episode. This is going to be a unique episode because I'm going to have my good friend Aaron Arnold interview me about my transition from being a doctor to an actor. Now, I picked Aaron because I met him back in an acting class in 2018, and him and his brother, Austin Arnold, were two of the people that I thought, wow, these guys are like the funniest people on the planet, and they're such hard workers, and they even have now a YouTube channel with over 1.24 million or 1.48 million subscribers. I don't know. All coin daily, and um, I'm really, really happy to have one of them here today because the other one got an Bender Bender, Aaron Arnold. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming by, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, um, we met an acting class back in the day. You know, if anybody's ever done theater or if just knows theater people or film people, some people are weird, but you always try, kind of gravitate towards the people who are cool. And I gravitated towards you and, you know, our core, core group of friends and... Um, that's right, because uh, I, I, I would watch you and Austin do improv in classwork, and I would think, I, I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, I want to meet these people. They are literally the funniest people I've ever met. And yeah, we, you just gravitate towards certain people, and then we just started hanging out for a really long time. We've been friends ever since, so I'm really happy to have you on this podcast. Dude, I'm psyched. This is going to be a great episode. I mean, if this podcast is successful, and I know it's going to be, people are going to be coming back for years to check out the first episode, like they do with my YouTube channel, like they did with Surviving Hollywood podcast. And it's really cool that this is your podcast, but on this particular episode, since I know you so well, I get to interview you about how you dropped out of your past career and gotten to acting and stand-up. That's right. And, um, you know, I've already been on your podcast talking about this before, but I think you're going to have some different questions for me today. So that's going to be uh, interesting. <laughs> totally, totally. Is anything off limits or? Uh, I don't know. Let's just go with it and see what happens. And if I say, uh, I may just say, maybe I don't want to talk about that. Ash, I want to get real today, okay? <laughs> okay, well, let's I want, just do it. I no, want nothing your, off topic. Though. I want your audience to really be like, damn, I really know who Ash is after listening to this. All right. You want to jump into it? All right, let's 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 jump into it then. All right, let's start off big picture. Ash, tell us your background. How did you get here? You started out as a doctor. Yeah, okay. Well, I was born in Virginia in a small town called Wise, Virginia. I used to actually have an accent like this. That's why I'm talking. And... Um, I actually uh, had to change that accent once I got to UVA because I got made fun of so much. And so that's what we have right now. But I'll say that I grew up um, in, the, in the mountains of Wise, Virginia. And the first time that I ever experienced acting was as a six-year-old boy uh, in a play called Gone Bay, the Duck Hunter. And that was kind of the jolt that made me very interested in acting um but then what was your role it was gone bay oh. <laughs> i was the main character yeah and uh, i don't remember a whole lot about it obviously because it was six but i had such an amazing time and that stuck with me throughout all these years and at that point i knew i wanted to be an actor but you know in a south asian family the most important thing is academics so it's all about getting straight A's. You know, my father was a doctor. My mom was a homemaker. I have a brother there. You know, my brother eventually ended up in medicine. And so 
I just thought, well, this is kind of the path that is right for me since my family's been in it. No one's been an actor. How could I possibly be an actor? So that's where I got into it. So you told your mom and dad, hey, I really liked doing this play. I want to do, I just really, I think it's cool. Uh, and what'd they say? I don't think they thought too much at that point. Also, I wasn't thinking about a career choice when I was six, but I, I, I just kind of knew that I wanted to do it. And it was always in the back of my head. And I would do plays throughout school, you know, in middle school and high school. Um, and I think that that's about r around the age of 17 or 18 and even college was when I started to have to think about what do I want to do in life? And um, I thought about becoming an actor, but they always told me, you know, there's nobody, we don't have any family in this business. So how would you become an actor? You know, it's very difficult to break into You'll probably end up on the streets, you know, with a drug IV needle in your arm. No, it's just not, it's not for you. Acting is not for you. It's not, it's not a possibility. Just stick with this medicine thing. <laughs> so you wanted to be a doctor or your parents just told you be a doctor? I think it was kind of a combination. You know, the, it was never like you have to be a doctor, you know, it was just, this is the right choice for you because of X, Y, and Z. They kind of told it to me rationally. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, um, I guess... I don't have any family in the industry. That's true. But I really love it. But also, I don't know if I can make money from it. I don't I don't see any Indian actors on the screen. You know, so it was a lot of doubts and fears. And I, I have to really lay a lot of responsibility on myself because I was kind of too scared to go through with acting. You know, if my parents are going to support me financially to do a medical career, why not do that? You know? But if I have to go on it on my own, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. That was before Aziz Ansari really broke yeah. through and it was only Apu at that There was time. just Apu. Yeah. That was the only person on screen. So, but I mean, my hero was always Jim Carrey. I really didn't think about, actually, I did think about the color of the skin. I was like, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. I don't know. Totally. By the way, um, before we get more into you being a doctor, what was it about like acting that you liked? Like you liked doing it, but was there any like particular thing that you liked being an actor? It just set me alive. It, there was something about it that I can't even describe to you. Like as I'm just existing in life and I'm going about eating or talking to people or whatever, there's kind of this, this lull of right here. But as soon as I get to be a character, all of a sudden all of my neurons start firing and I'm super excited. That's, best way I can describe it. So it's just a very strong passion that I've had for the longest time. Okay. And so you went to school to be a doctor and what kind of doctor did you become? Yeah. So, uh, actually it was a very long road to becoming a doctor because it was not something that I was really passionate about. It was just, uh, I just got to get through it. So I started out at University of Virginia. Didn't do too great there. So I had to take a couple years off. What do you mean you didn't do great? I had a 3.2 GPA. You know, I took the MCAT. That's I good was... to some people. <laughs> well, it wasn't good enough for medical school, right? So I, I, I really struggled in college a lot. I didn't struggle in high school. I was there with my parents the whole time. They made sure I got all A's. But once I was separated from them, from a distance of five hours, 
then I started to play around a little bit, <laughs> drinking with the college buddies, all that stuff. And uh, my GPA dropped. Uh, I had to take the MCATs to get into med school. I didn't do well on those two things. So then I ended up getting a master's in public health just to help it out. So it was a very long road just to get into medicine. But during all that time, I was like, man, I wish I could just do this acting thing as I watch people on screen. And um, I finally got into med school in 2004. It was very, very, very difficult to get in. You know, you're, you're talking about 5,000 applicants for about 140 spots. Um, but eventually I broke through that. And then even in medical school, I had a really rough time there. I mean, I failed biochemistry. I failed my first year of med school in the sense that I had to take this step one boards and um, I had to take it twice. And the guidance counselor said, maybe you should consider something other than medicine, like a PhD. And that really pissed me off. And I finally passed step one by one point. So I got to continue through med school and uh, get my residency, which was... Um, I think med school and pre-med were the hardest years of my life. It was so difficult to stay sane. Studying 120 hours a week, I absolutely hated it. But uh, I got through it somehow. And then residency was easy. I went to Texas, did a clinical pathology residency for three years. And then I went to the National Institutes of Health, uh, the NIH in Maryland, for two years for a clinical fellowship. Uh, became an assistant professor in Texas at uh, UT Houston first, and then I got into my dream school, MD Anderson Cancer Center. Not really a school, one of the best cancer centers in the world. So I kind of like, I really, really struggled with medicine. My brother killed it, by the way. This is a guy that graduated when he was 16. He skipped second grade. Older brother? Older brother. Skipped second grade and 10th grade. And I, I would always look at him and I'd be like, why are you going so hard on the paint, bro? Like, can you just chill out and like, let me, <laughs> let me uh, try to catch up with you in some way? He liked being a doctor? I don't know if he likes being a doctor, to be honest. I, I feel like he's said in the past, in the very, very, like, probably when we were 10, I can remember him wanting to be either a cook or a physicist. So I'm not sure if he really even enjoys what he does now but I mean he was a genius and he killed it he got an MD PhD he never struggled with with classes like I did so there was always this comparison you know between me and my sibling and I was like I'm never going to be enough in this academic realm so anyway I got I finally got to MD Anderson Cancer Center and I'm I, I'm killing it you know I've published 22 well, articles, yeah. Maybe you mentioned it, but I don't understand the doctor lingo. <laughs> okay. you know, All right. what, what kind of doctor were you? It sounds like you weren't a, just a general practitioner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Clinical pathology is uh, an interesting field because it's kind of a lot of different things. I'm basically the doctor's doctor. And in terms of if they have a question about labs or genetic testing or you know PCR on microbiology samples, basically if they, have a, they need advice on these tests, then I need to be able to explain that to them. And then I specialized in a transfusion medicine field, which is when, you know, patients, it's all about blood products. So when a patient is bleeding out in an operation, I have to ensure that I uh, transfuse them with the right blood products so that they survive. And, you know, anything related to a blood donor center. So the doctor that asks you, hey, did you, um, do you have herpes? You know, for donating blood and well, stuff, right? Well, not me, right? but just anybody. Yeah. 
Yeah, anybody. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty wide encompassing, but transfusion medicine was the kind of the last part of that. It's a very rare field of. Uh, also, I did I did autopsies at the very beginning of my career, so a lot and, of different things. And you loved that. That was actually your favorite part. Yeah, because I didn't have to deal with people. Um, nah. <laughs> living people. Yeah. Now. You, you told me a story once about how you used to get like feedback from your patients or something. Do you remember that story? Like you got oh feedback Lord. saying that you did not have the best bedside manner. Oh, right. Yes. What, tell us about that. Yeah. Obviously you quit being a doctor. There's things you didn't like about it. So just, you know, okay. So it's interesting when I was a resident at UT Houston, um, I was going in for my first review. We get reviewed periodically quarter to quarter. Um, and so my first year of residency, I'm like, yeah, I'm killing it. I'm, I'm doing so well on my clinical rotations. Everybody loves me. And then I get into the program director's office and she gives me this sheet and it says, you joke around too much. You say inappropriate things. You don't care about this program. You talk a lot of crap about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought I'm killing it. And also like, who's telling on my, jo my jokes were good. Like, why are you commenting that they were bad? You know, I was kind of upset about that. So really, you don't see what you don't you didn't think they had any grounds for saying that you had great bedside manner. I, I have great bedside manner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think I was inappropriate at all. But like, what was one of the jokes you used to? You know, we always I, I can't remember when I was a bartender. Well, we I used ask to, her when I was a bartender. <laughs> I used to kind of say the same jokes to customers, the ones that worked. I'm sure maybe you had the same jokes to patients. I don't think it, I don't think it was even patients because we we didn't really see patients as pathologists. It was probably just to other people in the class. I mean, okay, like I do remember some inappropriate things I probably said in medical school. You know, like I remember on an OB gyn rotation, I, I would just be joking around. They would talk about how this, I think it's called a Parkland procedure. I don't know, but it's something about contraception. And uh, I was like, why do people do this? They should just do what I do, just pull out. I don't think that's really that inappropriate, do you? Not at all, man. Yeah. I can't believe somebody had a problem with that. Yeah. From their doctor. Exactly. Um, okay, so you're killing it being a doctor, right? That's where we are at this point. You're killing it. Yeah, at MD Anderson, I am at the, <laughs> exactly. I'm at the top of my field in transfusion medicine. I've written books, book chapters. Uh, peer-reviewed articles, you know, I'm a um, specialist in the field, I'm making a six-figure salary, and uh, I have a nice home, and uh, I'm miserable, you know? I, I, I look at myself, and I'm like, wow, how did you gain 30 pounds? This is the heaviest I've ever been in life. I'm like 190. The only pleasure I get in life, actually, is food. I just love to eat. I love to eat tres leches and, you know, big pizzas, all the time. And it's how old were you thing. about when you were like feeling this way? 36 or seven. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So what was like the straw that broke the camel's back? Was that feeling of just general malaise and misery or? Yeah, I think um, I, I needed to reevaluate myself as a person. And as, as I looked back at my life, I talked to my past self and I talked to my future self. It was kind of like Christmas Carol, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I asked myself, I said... You were gassed up with the hospital <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally high. No, I, I kind of uh, had a visit from the past and the future, and I, I said, 
is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? I asked my future self, were you happy and content with the life you lived? And uh, on the deathbed, Ash said, nope, I'm not, I'm not happy with this at all. You didn't take any risks in life. You became the thing that, you know, your parents are proud of you, but you're not, I'm not proud of you. You didn't do anything. You're just like a, a doctor. And then I asked my, you know, young self is like, well, aren't you proud of me for what I've become? And he said, no, I didn't want to stay in the library for 120 hours a week. I didn't have any fun. You wanted to be an actor. Why didn't you go after that? So those kind of like meetings that I had with myself, um, I, I decided to pursue um, acting classes at night. So I started to take like five classes a night. The first class I ever took. Five classes? Five, start, not five classes a night, five classes a week. That's still a lot. Yeah. I took it like after, after I was done with, uh, you know, medicine. Um, Wait, so you, this is, so you already quit? No, I'm still, I'm still practicing. And at that time I just wanted to test out acting because mm -hmm. I never tried it. Mm -hmm. I was so unhappy with life. I, I was so miserable that I just wanted to see, is this the thing that I wanted to do? Why am I so scared of it? Let me Wah, try it again. Yeah, I'm making six figures. My parents are proud of me. I've got a nice home. Yeah. And I'm weren't miserable. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, that's probably what my brother would say. He'd be like, oh, wah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I tried acting classes for the first time. And when I started to do it, I mean, it was reunited with that six-year-old, child that did God made the duck hunter you know I was immediately something just came over me where I was like this is exactly what I've wanted to do with my life and I started to behave much differently I started to get connected with my real emotions and um, I realized this is what I actually want to do in life and so I kind of continued that route for about six months just taking a lot of classes and I realized, oh crap! I can't, I can't do medicine anymore. I gotta, I gotta have a plan to get out of this and be an actor. And Hugh Laurie with House was popping off at this time. I assume that was a big influence. It was. I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I remember just watching TV th periodically throughout my life, my twenties and thirties, and I was thinking, I can do that. I can do that. I know I'm good at this. This is what I want to be doing. Um, so. Yeah, I remember I saw Superbad when I was in high school, and I was like, well, if those kids, Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill, can get these roles, how come I can't? Why not? You know? Why not? But um, so, like, tell me how you quit your job. Everybody likes a good I quit story. Was, was it hard to tell your boss I'm out of here? Or your parents? Well, um, <laughs> okay, so I was in an arranged marriage. I was married at that point, and my wife had moved to... California, right? She was going to do dental school in Loma Linda. And um, also at this time... And, and by the way, just for the folks at home, he says arranged marriage. And when I, he first told me that, I thought, oh, arranged marriage? Who is this Who is this troll? But like, you show me pictures. <laughs> she's beautiful, dude. Dentist, like, Ash. She, she, she will appreciate that. Yeah. She'll come back and she'll be like, who's that Aaron fella? <laughs> <laughs> what a nice guy. Yeah, I just can't believe... Like, obviously, if the things didn't work out and it was just arranged, that's one thing. But I saw a picture of her and I was like, oh, my gosh, dude. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, kind woman. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work out. Yeah, Who knows why? Cool. Things just don't. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I should also say this. Um, right, just prior to do this, I got scammed out of a lot of money uh, in some kind of entertainment thing while I was a doctor. I didn't really care because I, I knew I was going to make 
20,000 next month anyway. It doesn't really matter what I lose at this point. And I was miserable. But um, yeah, uh, there's this guy, Jay Lopez. He was going around as Jay Lopez, Jonathan Yost. And he was like, oh, he, he was talking a big game. And me being in Houston, I didn't know anything about entertainment. I'm completely naive at this point. I believe, you know, all he has to do is attach himself to a random celebrity. And I'll be like, wow, this guy's, you know, this guy's kind of big, you know. And um, yeah, you told me the story once how I kind of took it as like, you know, like you had a, you know, banked a bunch of money. You were hungry to do whatever you could to get into the business. You're like, damn, well, I'll, you know, partner up with this guy or something. Right. And it'll just like springboard me into the business, which, right. you know, it sound, sounded like a great idea. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't. And I lost <laughs> a lot of money. The Secret Service contacted me at work. But what exactly was the scam? Just briefly? or Basically, he was selling a tour of an acting workshop. And he... he partnered with a legit celebrity who I'm friends with, Cherry Johnson. Um, he never let us meet, by the way. I would be like, I want to meet her. And he goes, no, you can't do that. That's not the proper channels. If we'd met earlier, we would have found out the con even quicker. But we didn't. But he was selling her and her um, other acting friends to teach workshops across the nation. And everything looked legit. You know, like he had the website set up so that you could buy tickets. And they were ready to go to all of these places. And I just had to put money in to rent out the venues. And then I get a call from the Secret Service one day and they say, hey, do you know this man? And I'm like, crap, I knew it. I just got conned. How do you even believe it's the Secret Service calling you? Exactly. I said, I said, I don't believe this is the Secret Service. Uh, how, why would the Secret Service take on a role like this anyway? Like, why are they doing money laundering? Doesn't make any sense. And he said, just look up, uh, go online, call, find the Secret Service, look up the number and ask them if. Parker Dipple is on this case. So I went online. Still could have been a scam, you know. But I was like, oh, man. Even then, I didn't believe it, you know. I thought, ah, this guy's still good. I, I believe in him. No, he, he took a lot of money from me. And uh, I, I've held my head in shame for a long time, you know, because an the, the first thing the Secret Service guy asked me was like, you're an educated guy. How do you fall for something like this? And I felt like crap. <laughs> Um, yeah, seriously. But talk, anyway, talk that, about bad bedside manner there. Yeah, bad bedside. It's like loser. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that kind of happened in February 2018. My wife was over in California. I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of Houston. I don't know if this guy's going to even kill me. You know, let me let's move to California. <laughs> let's take on this acting thing. And I said, I'm I'm leaving my job to be with my wife. And I, I just, you know, I started the acting classes at that point. So it was it was partially to like get out of this scam, you know, this fear of like this guy taking money from me, but also like I need to move on in my career. You know, I need to take legit acting classes that will get me to the next level. I mean, the there was one great acting class that I took in Houston, uh, this guy Brian Thornton, and um, I learned a lot from him. But then I also knew in order for me to really like push my career forward, I need to be surrounded by creatives that can expand my mind. And that's what I love about L.A. The concentration of creatives is so high. Like every time I have a conversation with somebody, I was like, oh, I could do this. And then, like even this podcast, you know, the uh, the person Dan's recording this and I met his wife uh, Selena and like they're always coming up with ideas 
And so I thought, oh, this is this is cool. Just being around people that are so creative and smart in L.A. just pushes you up further. So that's kind of like why I wanted to move here. Cool, cool. Yeah, I do want to transition to now we're in the acting artist part of your life. But before we get to that, anything else on, you know, in your past life, the doctor side? Um, we could probably come back to it if if I can't think of anything on the doctor side. I'll just say that, you know, I just um, I wasn't happy doing it mm-hmm. regardless of what I, what I had. And I knew mm-hmm. that I just needed a, a lifestyle change. Mm hmm. And um, was there anything interesting as far as you telling your boss I'm quitting or your parents I'm quitting? Was that uh, hard? So the one guy that's a very senior doctor, he's like in probably 80 or 90, he's like, oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> I was never, you know, brave enough to do this, even though I'm an artist. He so thought you booked so something for when you told him. He just assumed yeah. you booked it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and then this other guy was like, well, you know, you could still practice here and just do this on the side. You know, I, I paint on the side. And I was like, no, thank you, but this is not the profession for me. I've seen your paintings, Arthur. For improvement. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you move out to Los Angeles. Um, was it, you know, tell us about your initial experience. You're making, you're not making money anymore. You don't have the same friends. You don't have the same life. Like, how was that getting started? Did you join that acting class I met you in immediately? Or just how was your beginnings? Uh, I actually had to... As I was staying with my wife in, uh, I think, Redlands, I had to drive out to classes. I was going to Ivana Chubbuck's studio at the time, and uh, I loved it. I was so, this is where I wanted to live my whole life. Hollywood, wow, this is so cool. You, I don't know if you had that same experience when you first moved to Hollywood. Dude, when you first move here, everything's so amazing. It's like, I'm from Ohio, and so like obviously this town's more movie-centric, and it's just the palm trees and everything. is like you're just in awe and inspired by everything. But after a while, it just becomes part of the grind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the first two years, they were, they were amazing. <laughs> I'm not saying that it hasn't been amazing since, but like that's when the awe, and like you said, the palm trees, the sign, and all of that stuff, being around so many more actors hearing their story, filmmakers, all this other stuff. Um, that was an amazing part of my life. I didn't mind going back and forth two hours, but then I also had to be like, I had to figure out how to sustain my career over the marathon that it will be in the entertainment, right? Like 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, however long it's going to take. Uh, fortunately I'd set up a lot of other sources of income while I was a doctor, you know, like I'd done photography done stock photography and I was getting paid 3000 a month through that just through the residuals off like 800 pictures you know I'd, I had uh, some, holy hell dude. Yeah, yeah I had some income in the stock market and I had a house that I could rent out so you know but but still I was kind of worried I'm like am I gonna be able to last this many years without an income and I think uh, when I started started to learn about options trading in stock, then I kind of eased up. And that came in probably two years after I was here. But the, that first two years, I was kind of racking my brain thinking about different businesses. I was thinking about selling LEDs. You know, what can I, should I continue to do photography? Should I do headshots? You know, I started to do that at the very beginning. Um, but eventually I did, uh, I did learn about options trading and that helped me a lot to sustain. That's what you do to make money. That's what I did. Acting. Yeah. But, you know, also, like, I I cut down all my expenses. I, li- I, I live extremely frugally. I live with two roommates. 
I don't buy an expensive car. I just do what I, I just pay for the headshots, the real, the food, you know, whatever I can to keep costs down because I know this is a, a marathon, as I said. He does do that and he does have the roommates, but last year he did go to Italy. Oh yeah, but I mean, that's through miles, right? That's through, like, that doesn't cost anything. Those Italian like, suits. Italian suits don't cost anything. What? Do you know that this shirt right here is like 15 bucks no, in Italy? That. That's a beautiful thing about Italy. You can buy clothes there for extremely cheap. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you recommend like people <laughs> like who are, you know, listening to this or watching this who are wanting to do what you, you did or your guests do? Is options trading a good, you know, side hustle? Do you think people should get into that? Not unless you have enough money to do to make a living out of it. How much is enough? To I start? would say you'd probably need you know, just to trade one covered call on a stock like Disney, right? That's uh, Disney's trading. I think it's about 118. You need 100 shares of that. That's going to be $11,800. And then to trade one option on that, you could probably earn about two bucks in a month, uh, two times 100, which is $200. So you got to have a little bit of cash to be able to trade options. But that's why I have other people on this podcast that you'll hear about later. Um, I, you know, I have like a, you know, Johnny, you know, uh, you don't know AJ yet, but there are people that have to have different types of side hustles to, to maintain, mm -hmm. you know, like if I didn't have options, I would probably do photography mm -hmm. and nobody's got more options than you, buddy. <laughs> so thinking back to when you first got out here, you know, you first got to LA, you're a fish out of the water. What piece of advice would you give yourself to make things easier on you starting out? I would have told myself that, hey, believe in yourself a little. You are a good actor. You can do whatever you want to in life. Just don't worry about the future. Be in this moment. You'll figure it out. And that's, I think, the overwhelming piece of advice that I will give anyone because I've underestimated myself over and over and over again my entire life. And somehow I've, I've managed to pull through regardless. Dude, that inspires me, man. What you just said inspires me. Now, I know, obviously, but for the folks at home, you know, tell us about some of your wins in Hollywood. I know you've done a bunch of cool stuff. Well, um, a lot of stuff has come through this past couple of years, and it was just trying to put in the work for so long. But uh, a co-star on Euphoria, that was my first co-star. Um, a co-star on Better Call Saul in the last episode. And uh, a big movie called Slayers starring Mollen Ackerman and Tom Jane and Abigail Breslin and Kara Hayward and Ashley Reyes and so many people that, you know, when we were in acting class, we would do scenes from Boogie Nights. And here I am doing a scene with Tom Jane. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. How is this even possible? So I never expected to be doing a movie like that at, at this early stage in my career, you know, and um, I'm just very grateful for that. So that's why I kind of say, don't underestimate what you can do. I never believed that I could be an actor in Hollywood across movie stars. I never did. I, I wanted to do it and I loved it. I never thought that I would actually be on TV or in the movie. So I'm, as we speak, this is some of the best times in my life because I'm live, I'm actively living my dream right now. And it's really a, a special feeling. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes because we get caught in the grind of just like more work, more work, more work, but I'm doing it right now. I am actually living my dream and it's so cool. 
Now, when you did these things, as you're starting to do well in Hollywood, did you get that same original feeling you got when you did Fiddler on the Roof or whatever that thing you mentioned? <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof. I don't think I could handle that emotional complexity at six, but uh, <laughs> um, Gun Bay and the Duck Hunter. When We've I, all seen that. When I did Slayers, I, I definitely had that feeling a lot because... And what is the feeling? Oh, it's it's uh, it's not describable actually, but it's just a feeling Perfect overwhelming. For a podcast, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's an overwhelming feel of gratitude and passion. It's the infinite love that the universe has for you. You're you're actively feeling it as you're performing that scene. You're like, oh my god, I can't even believe I get to do this. This is my life right now. It's um, it's a very special feeling of love. <laughs> it's the only thing I, way I can describe it. Is it all positive feelings, or I'm sure there's different like parts that are feel more like work? Like, um, obviously, I'm, we're talking about like you know when you first got into Hollywood, it's all inspiration. Then it becomes part of the grind. Is there anything on you now that you're an artist that feels like, and you know this is normal for any job, so I'm sure there are things. But is there, do you find there's some parts of it that are a grind, or is you know all this other stuff just makes it worth it? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I would call it a grind. There's just certain obstacles that I have personally like sometimes I compare myself to someone else's journey and that is death I'm like I'm looking at someone that's you know beautiful or steroid ridden like you yeah uh someone's jacked and they're booking these roles and they're getting auditions that I can't do uh because I'm not as handsome or as beautiful and I'm like this sucks. I put 10,000 hours in my craft. Why can't I do what they're doing? I, I could handle that audition as well. And I think jealousy for me or comparison, I should say, has been very difficult for me to deal with because I, I am the type of person that I want things to be about craft. And I want that if I put the work in, I should have an expectation of that linearly. So uh, it's not. The industry goes like this. You know, like one day I can be doing that amazing movie across Small and Ackerman. And then the next week I'm doing a student film again and I'm waiting patiently for the next thing. Uh, there was a point where I my my manager had dropped me and I just had one agent. Um, uh, Bankston Town in New Mexico. Casey is an amazing agent. And I really didn't audition for seven months. And I, I was like, or actually, she she did get me a lot of stuff, but I I wasn't auditioning in L.A. and New York, and I was just like, gosh, how do you how do you keep on doing this when you're you're high at one point and then you're you're back down low, and you feel like you're not making any progress? There there's so many times where I just don't feel like I'm going anywhere, and um, at those times, I just I just push through and I say, let me just keep on doing even more work. Let me write my own thing. Let me produce my own thing. Let me do X, Y, and Z. And that's kind of how I have to stay fueled from it. Um, and and surely those things do pay off. You know, it, it is surprising that in Hollywood there is a lot of luck, but there's also hard work, as you know, because when I watched you do your altcoin YouTube. Uh, channel or even surviving Hollywood podcast, growing the subscriber base from zero to a million is a very difficult feat. You got to be very dedicated. You got to put it out there every single night. You got to edit it. And that's hours and hours of work. And that's what I think is really incredible. That's why I wanted you to interview me because I was like, this is one of, this is one of those people that gets it. 
hard work does pay off at the end. And you believe in yourselves, right? Totally. And I think it's so key just to, you know, it's just like going to the gym. When you start going to the gym, you're not going to get the results you feel you're entitled to. But if you continue lifting those weights, it's inevitable. You're going to get bigger. And I think it's the same thing for the YouTube channel or for acting. It's just continue putting yourself out there, continue doing the stuff, and it's inevitable. You're going to have to move up eventually. Yeah, that's true. And uh, that that really hit me hard when you say I, I do feel entitled to do cer- doing certain things sometimes, you know? I'm like, I did X, Y, and Z. Why don't I get this? But you're right. You just got to put your head down and stay humble and continue to do the work and not, like, let anything else affect you. Just keep going. Mm-hmm. And you're a stand-up too, right? Yeah, stand-up comedy was something that I was afraid of. I, I thought, there's no way I can do it. I'm not, there's nothing funny about me. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you're funny, dude. You had a good sense of humor. Yeah. And I I, I didn't think I could do it. I just here's another thing about underestimating yourself. Like I underestimated myself. I was like, no, there's no way I can do stand up. I can't write it. I I don't have that great of a sense of humor. But um, I I just pushed myself out there. Uh, It's interesting, though. I I took this class from John Dapolito. He's in New York. And he said, what do you really want in life? Can you envision it? like every feeling that's happening and who whose life does that look like? And I was like, it's Jim Carrey. Remember Jim Carrey in 1997 or so? He was doing Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, The Mask. He was going to all of these different award ceremonies. He was making people laugh. He was like the most popular man in Hollywood, the funniest man in Hollywood. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to make people laugh. I want to entertain people. I want this type of life. And uh, that's kind of what inspired me to do the stand-up. I just, like, got through those fears. I, I started taking a class at Tao Comedy for six weeks, and um, I did it. I, I couldn't believe I did it. I never thought I would be able to, and I did. So, and I'm continuing to do it to this day. And who are your, like, inspirations for stand-ups? Who do you, like... That you think, uh, that right you- now, who I really like, uh, there's a guy, Asif Ali... Um, incredibly funny. I mean, he does a lot of crowd work. Amir K. and uh, Russell Peters. And I, I'm surprised that uh, I don't have comedians that I look up to as much that are outside my race. I, I never thought I would be the type of person that, like, I'm Indian. I'm only going to be about <laughs> Indian stand-up comics. Oh, wait, wait, hang on. Sarah Silverman is one of my favorites as well, so I should say that. But uh, those three, like, really stand out to me. Um, you're a stand-up. Could you tell us a joke? Uh, I'm just the worst question uh, ever. Yeah, I, I totally could tell you a joke, but I would rather you come to my shows, and I post them all the time on my Instagram. Please come, because these are bringer shows, and I need people to go. Okay. I feel you. I've been. They're great. Uh, what do you like more, acting or stand-up? I like acting more. Acting is definitely the goal stand up there's something in my inner voice that keeps on telling me to go out there and continue to do it because it's going to help me in the long run but it's like i said like if i'm envisioning my career kind of like jim carrey's he does improv he does stand up comedy and he does acting that's kind of where i'm i'm seeing my y- y- you pattern your success off the blueprint of others right you watch what they do so that's kind of why i keep going up there and doing it mhm I, I, I did enjoy stand-up a lot at the beginning, but here's a problem with it. When you're starting out, you're doing a ton of open mics, right? I, I do, 
I probably did like, uh, I want to say five open mics, maybe more per week. And that's listening to about 50 comics a week. And after that point, you really get sick of comedy. You feel like you've listened to every single joke anybody could ever think of. And so I, I have to take breaks from it at a time. But it's the same thing with acting. When I, when I start to do too many scenes, I'm like, all right, I need to take a break and do something else. So this is a really good balance for me. When I get sick of stand-up, I go back to acting. When I get sick of scene work, I go back to stand-up. Mm-hmm. Any other you know, piece of practical advice we could impart on a viewer listening to this podcast that you know, wants to do what you've done? I would say uh, don't listen to a lot of the external voices. Most important thing is to listen to what you want and ignore everything else. You know, as long as you're a good person, of course. Really meditate every day. Listen to the inner voice. Trust that you know how you want your life to be. You will guide yourself on this journey if you really pay attention. Things will come out of nowhere. And uh, you just have to trust in yourself. You have to believe that you can handle any outcome, any obstacle that comes in your way. You really have to believe that you can handle it. Thinking, as we're wrapping this pot up, I think it's going great. And by the way, for the folks at home, Ash isn't going to tell you this, but I know the best way you can help him out right now, because I know people will be revisiting this podcast forever, is rate him on iTunes, give him five stars, leave a review, and every other kind of thing where you can rate that would really help Ash out. I'll say it. And then for the folks at home listening to this who are excited about the future of this podcast, since this is the first one, let's talk about what you hope comes for this podcast. Like, what is your goal with this podcast? The goal of this podcast is that I want people to really listen to themselves and believe in themselves. That is the, the biggest message that I have, and I hope to inspire people to listen to themselves. You wouldn't start a band without having influences. Like if you were going to start a band, maybe your influences would be Aerosmith or Kanye or the Beatles or something. So for this podcast, you're starting it out. What are your podcast influences? I don't have any podcast influences. What do you like to listen actually. to? Actually, video podcasts. You don't. I don't listen to podcasts. So why do you want to do a video podcast if you've never seen one? I wanted to inspire people because I know that a lot of people listen to them. Definitely. I prefer to um, watch my podcasts. But I did I did listen to one podcast a while ago when it was happening. It was the Surviving Hollywood podcast. Yes. I did listen to that often uh, because that's kind of like what I was trying to do. It was interesting, the guests that you guys brought, brought on. And uh, that's actually how I got my manager, you know, because I right. listened to your podcast with, with Andrea and then uh, Johnny recommended me to her. And uh, I've got like one of the best managers in the world now. So that's cool. Nice. I'll, I'll see, so like good things come out of podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you have other influences, impulsive or uh, flagrant or... What's no? that? Oh, never mind. <laughs> um, who's your dream guest, man? I don't really have a dream guest. Just people that are inspired to uh, tell their story and how they hustle. Yeah. There's, this this podcast just uh, came out of the urge. So I started to write a book about my, my stories and I just thought I want to start a podcast that's kind of like a companion to this and uh, that's kind of where it came out of but there was no <laughs> dude let's dude eventually they're going to have we're going to be in episode 50 then episode 100 you're going to get yeah. bigger get better guests more views and people are going to think man like he could really get some better guests now let's put it out there man let's put that out into the universe man I wish I would love to talk to this person about their story I don't know if Jim Carrey has this story but I would really love to have him on the podcast <laughs> 
You know, because I think he went directly as an artist. I don't think he ever had a, like a nine to five that he was going to, he knew he wanted to be an artist and actor, kind of like you and Austin, like you already knew you wanted to be actors. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, no, there's, there's no. <laughs> Jimmy Carey can talk about his dad. He yeah. He tells that story. Exactly. Um, so what can the, uh, this is kind of a big picture general type question. What can the audience look forward to as, you know, they continue to tune into this podcast? Um, I think the stories that people have, because I, there, there are going to be so many people, so many different stories that are on this podcast. I'm sure like one of them will connect to several different niches, right? Like I'm going to have all kinds of races, ethnicities, such <laughs> a racist whatever. for a sec. I only have racists on this podcast. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I think that there will be such a variety of stories that someone's going to connect with them. If I can just inspire one person from someone's story to really follow their, what their voice tells them. Well, Ash, you inspired me today. I did. I? Yeah, you did. Oh, how did I inspire you? Is that surprising? But you're already doing your career. Because I like to see my friends getting out of their comfort zone uh, and doing things that they want to do. I love, you know, to see my friends starting, starting things and doing things. And that's exactly what's going on today, mm. dude. Looks like we're on the set of like David Pakman show. I don't even know who that is. Just some YouTuber. One day I'll know. Just some <laughs> person. But, um, my, I have a final question for you, but is there um, anything else uh, kind of like that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? No, I think we covered everything. Okay. So my final question to you is give the audience right now, and these people watching today are going to be your, your, your day ones, your diehard fans, yeah. your ride or die. So the people watching right now, give them a piece of alpha that you don't think it's shared enough, a piece of, I say alpha, like great information to like really like get them going on their day to kind of like you know, leave them, leave them as this podcast and give, give them some alpha. I believe in you and you should believe in yourself. So go after the life you want. I love it, Ash, dude. You're going to kill it on this pod. Looking forward to watching every episode. And of course, commenting when it's on YouTube and, and writing and it up on stars. iTunes. Yeah.